0: What up what up what up oh my goodness we got a whole lot to talk about today mainly miles garrett of the cleveland browns being suspended indefinitely and mason rudolph should be too might i add but i'll get to that russell wilson is heaven sent and lamar jackson is a nightmare to deal with colin kaepernick might have a shot at a return to the nfl and jay-z might just be the one behind it in college football chase young is still suspended but it shouldn't hurt the buckeyes too badly Paul George is back on the hardwood for the Clippers, and Carmelo Anthony is now a trailblazer? Finally, in the Bruce breakdown, the NFL quarterback position is in a place we've never seen it before and maybe never thought we would. All that and a whole lot more. So sit back, relax, and listen up to episode 44 of The Format. By now, unless you live in the bottom of the ocean or on Mars, you know about the biggest story in sports right now, the throwdown in the dog pound. I'm talking about the fight on Thursday night football between Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns and Mason Rudolph of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So before I get into that, let's start here. Merriam-Webster defines a reason as a statement offered in explanation or justification. It likewise defines an excuse as something offered as justification or as grounds for being excused. Sounds pretty much the same, right? But they're not. A kid says, the dog ate my homework. That's an excuse. Same kid says, I was sick and didn't get it done along with a hospital note that he gives to the teacher. Well, that's a reason, okay? This brings me to Miles Garrett versus Mason Rudolph in Thursday Night Football. So first things here. All the people quick to throw such decisive judgment at Miles Garrett probably didn't properly watch the film as many times it's been shown. I'll go through it for you. Garrett comes in with a slightly late hit and takes Mason Rudolph down. Okay, late hit should have been penalized. Got you. Now, if you're paying attention, you see Mason Rudolph at that point trying to pull off Miles Garrett's helmet. What was he doing there trying to pull his helmet off? Okay, let's not lose sight of that little thing. Next. Pouncey and DeCastro, two of the Steelers' offensive linemen, run over and pull Miles Garrett off of Mason Rudolph. Now, look again at this part. As Miles Garrett is being pulled off by the two offensive linemen, you can see Mason Rudolph try to kick Miles Garrett in the groin. Okay, let's not lose sight of that. But all people who are vilifying Garrett are ignoring that too. So that's one strike at this point against Miles Garrett and two against Mason Rudolph. Now, at this point, Miles Garrett is able to yank off Mason Rudolph's helmet. And remember, Mason Rudolph tried to yank his helmet off first, but he just couldn't get it off. I guess the chin strap was on tight. Now, it's not right that Miles Garrett pulls off the helmet, but he just succeeded in doing what Mason Rudolph failed to do. So now Miles Garrett has the helmet. He's being pulled away or separated or however you want to look at it by Pouncy and DeCastro. Now, Garrett is engaged by them. Here comes Mason Rudolph, who could have just stood back and waited for the situation to de-escalate. Everyone is blaming Garrett for swinging the helmet, and he is not in any way devoid of blame here. But how does Garrett even hit Mason Rudolph with the helmet unless Mason Rudolph is there? I.e. Mason Rudolph ran at an already engaged by two Steelers, Miles Garrett, to continue to do what at that point? I don't know. So... That brings me to my next point. The two were separated and Mason Rudolph rushed Miles Garrett. At this point, DeCastro takes Miles Garrett down, trying to calm him some more. And here you see Pouncey hitting Miles Garrett, right? He's on the ground, he's hitting him. He gets up from the ground, kicks Miles Garrett in the head, then goes back down and hits him some more. How is Miles Garrett the only one that people are blaming here? Are you kidding me? As a slight aside, You can actually find pictures from a different angle of that whole thing that shows Mason Rudolph taking a low blow punch in the groin on Miles Garrett right about the time of the helmet swing. Let's stop the narrative. If you listen to me, you know I hate narratives. Because Mason Rudolph is a QB, all his BS shouldn't matter. Because he's smaller than Miles Garrett, he should get a pass. Please. We all pretty much learn from a young age not to pick fights with people who are bigger and stronger than you because it generally won't go well. So this nonsense about, well, Mason Rudolph is outweighed by Miles Garrett by 40 or 50 pounds, well, guess what? He shouldn't have gone looking for what he went looking for. If you want to act like Napoleon, at some point, you'll probably end up finding your Waterloo. So Miles Garrett, as expected, got suspended indefinitely by the NFL. Uh, The Players Association is probably going to appeal that and it'll get scaled down. But what the NFL said is through the rest of this regular season and the playoffs, and they will probably stick to that. In my opinion, I still think that's too harsh, but I get that the NFL has to send a message here. They have to show they're serious about player safety. I have my own thoughts on that, but that's for another day. They have to show that they're serious about discipline for repeat offenders or players that put player safety at risk. So they came down hard, and I get it. Pouncey got three games for his role in the fracas. In my opinion, he definitely should have gotten more. And of course, our beloved quarterback, Mason Rudolph, who instigated the entire thing and then escalated it when he could have played a role in de-escalating the situation, wasn't suspended at all, and will face fines, according to NFL.com. Everyone keeps asking, What if that swing had hit Mason Rudolph with the crown of the helmet where it's hardest and it had cracked his skull? Who knows what would have happened? Well, here's another question no one is asking. What would have happened if Mason Rudolph had succeeded in getting Miles Garrett's helmet off first when he was on the ground trying to pull it off? He could have thumbed him in the eye and blinded him and ended his career, right? Woulda, coulda, shoulda, if was the fifth? Why is no one exploring those ifs? I think it's pretty obvious where I stand on this. I heard another argument comparing this whole thing to a baseball hitter charging the mound with a bat after being beamed in the head by a pitcher, and would that be okay? Well, guess what? I might shock some of you, but I'm not gonna lie. I'm all for it. I've never understood baseball's culture and quote-unquote unwritten rules that allow a pitcher to get away with what is tantamount to assault. A baseball is very, very hard, and if someone got hit in the head at 90 miles per hour it could do real damage so why is that okay but if the batter goes to get him with the weapon available to him it's a huge deal because we've been conditioned to accept that in baseball from the pitcher wouldn't let that shit happen to me though Whew. okay that was a lot that was a lot so let's take a break from the bs and get back to the actual football games themselves number one russell wilson is freaking amazing Some people might not like him, not going to get into that, but as a quarterback, there is nothing more that you could ask of this guy. Through 10 games, he has his Seahawks 8-2 in the division. He's got 2,700 yards passing, 23 touchdowns, and only two interceptions, and is completing 68% of his passes. I don't even think that we can comprehend how insane that is. He's in the driver's seat for his first most valuable player award. And he went into San Francisco last week and handed the 49ers their first loss on the season. In short, the guy is amazing. And he's doing all this without elite skill position talent. He just got Josh Gordon. And we still don't know if he can be anywhere near the generational level talent that he was during his early days in Cleveland. Plain and simple, Russell Wilson is just that dude. 3,000 miles away, Lamar Jackson has the Baltimore Ravens on the same course. They're 7-2, leading the AFC North with wins over those same Seahawks I just talked about and Tom Brady and the Patriots. He's doing things we haven't seen from a quarterback since the Michael Vick experience. He's got 2,000 passing yards, 15 touchdowns, and only 5 interceptions. An almost identical QBR to Russell Wilson. His is 76, Russell Wilson 78. He's super dangerous in his ability to run the football. Obviously, we know that. He's got 702 rushing yards on this season. He looks well in line to break the single season rushing record for a quarterback. But the difference is, if you try to stack the box, he has enough weapons to throw to his tight ends. He's got a deep dart in Hollywood Brown and in Willie Sneed, big possession receiver in Miles Boykin. He can beat you with his arm and he can beat you with his legs. The Ravens are leading the league in scoring and rushing and I believe are number two in total offense. This organization has completely committed to Lamar Jackson and built the offense around him, getting the coaching staff that fits. They brought in Greg Roman, who had tons of success with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. They've gotten Lamar the weapons. They're working with him. They've given him an offense where he can succeed. And it's not a gimmick offense. It's different. It's atypical for the NFL, but it's not a gimmick. And it's working. That said, Lamar needs to continue to develop in the passing game, and if they have to deal with the Patriots later again in the playoffs, well, we'll see because you're not going to beat Bill Belichick the same way twice. Speaking of Colin Kaepernick, he's scheduled to have a workout for available scouts and team personnel. A lot of people were skeptical based on reports that the league called Kaepernick's people and only gave them two hours to accept the offer for a workout. Now, we know Kaepernick's been saying for a while that he's staying ready, he's working hard, and he's looking for an opportunity to get back into the NFL. And the other problem with the NFL's offer is that there was no flexibility in terms of when said workout would happen. They uh, have it set for what should be... uh, saturday that's today when i'm recording not sure when you're listening but uh that's saturday uh the 16th of november anyway saturday is an unusual day for workouts in the nfl being that a lot of decision-making personnel aren't usually available because they're with teams or they're prepping for a game and you know tuesday is normally the day that workouts take place there's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not this is all a publicity stunt but through all the speculation There's been a new news report. According to Dan Patrick, sources told him that Jay-Z is behind the NFL setting up this workout. Apparently, if these sources are correct, Jay-Z pressured the NFL to hold the workout for Colin Kaepernick. Jay-Z said his reputation took a hit for joining the NFL in an official capacity, and apparently he framed it that way to the league. If that really is true, all I can say to that are three words. That is power. Chase Young's suspension is only for one more game. He'll be back in time for big matchups against Penn State and Michigan and of course the Big Ten Championship game which we can assume the Ohio State Buckeyes will be playing in. And that's a good thing because for the most part, he didn't do anything wrong. The suspension was the NCAA's last gasp at holding on to their archaic rules on athlete compensation, which again, he didn't technically violate because the loan didn't come from an agent or a booster or anybody who wasn't supposed to give it to him, but whatever. Anyway, there's three great games this weekend to look forward to. Two in particular that could have effects on the college football playoff picture going forward, depending on how they shake out. The first one is number four, Georgia, at number 12, Auburn, and that should be a great matchup of defensive fronts. We've seen what Georgia can do in terms of shutting down a ground game. They held Florida to 21 yards on 19 rushing attempts in that one. And we've seen Auburn's defense hold that super-powered LSU offense to only 23 points in their game earlier this season. Now, Georgia has the ability with a veteran upperclassman quarterback in Jake Fromm to make big throws when they have to, but their passing offense isn't prolific and their rushing game can be contained. Florida and Notre Dame were both able to do it earlier this season in losses against Georgia. In both games, they were held well below their average of 251 rushing yards per game. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to run the ball at all. They're always able to run it just enough to be effective, but it doesn't necessarily mean if they're playing against a talented front that they'll be able to dominate physically and run the ball the way they want to. The second game I'm interested in is number eight, Minnesota at number 20, Iowa. The question here is, can the Golden Gophers get up for another big-time Big Ten matchup after what was arguably the biggest win in program history last week at home against Penn State? It honestly might be a tall ask, especially against an always tough Iowa team at home. If Minnesota wins, they can chalk up another quality win and stay undefeated. They'll be continuing their march onto the Big Ten championship game, and maybe what was unthinkable but now just unlikely birth in the college football playoff. Again, highly unlikely, but let's just say for the sake of argument they beat Wisconsin, who does not at all look like the team they looked like earlier in the season. They would be the representative of the Big 10 West in the in the Big 10 Championship game, most likely playing against Ohio State. But let's just say hypothetically that Michigan beats Ohio State or Penn State does, they stumble somewhere. Maybe Minnesota gets a break and they end up going undefeated and winning the Big 10 Championship does the committee see their resume as being strong enough to get into the top top four for a spot in the playoff? It would be an interesting debate to see an undefeated Big Ten champion not get into the playoff. Now, again, I think that's highly unlikely, but we're at that point now where we can start considering scenarios like this. Finally, and of course, there's some bias here. It's number 16 Notre Dame against number 23 Navy. Now, this is always a tougher matchup during the season playing against navy mainly because of that triple option scheme they run and it's just extremely difficult to prepare for that scheme much like um army uses a lot of misdirection in the run game and defending it it just requires tremendous discipline gap integrity and assignment football in order to be successful this game is the first time in 41 years that both teams will be ranked by the associated press that's an interesting little nugget on another note Notre Dame will make some more history on Saturday, or history will likely come to an end depending on how you look at it. After 273 consecutive home sellouts at Notre Dame Stadium, which is second only to Nebraska nationally, it appears the Notre Dame home sellout streak will come to an end. The great American poet Nazir Jones said it best. Everything, Everything will eventually come to an end, so try to save it in a moment. Because time flies, don't it? The beauty of life, you gotta make it last for the better. Because nothing lasts forever, you know. It's still pretty early in the NBA season, and after all this football talk, woo, it was a lot. I'm not going to get into it too much. But um, Paul George is back for the Clippers, and that's a good thing. That should mean offensive and defensive nightmares for any team that plays against him. In his first game back, he looked pretty good for having been away for so long. Uh, he had 33 points, 9 rebounds in just 24 minutes. Now the Clippers did lose that game uh, to the New Orleans Pelicans, But just seeing what Paul George could do and kind of how he could fit back in with his teammates, I think that was the most important thing. Doc Rivers, having coached those older Celtics teams, he kind of understands, you know, the regular season is important for certain things, but it's not the end-all be-all. Anyway, um, other than working out in-game chemistry with the rest of his teammates, this really, in my opinion, can't go anywhere but up for the Clippers. It looks like we got an unexpected surprise from the Portland Trailblazers. Again, gives the incredible. Carmelo Anthony is back. Carmelo Anthony agrees to a non-guaranteed contract with Portland, a team that has stumbled to start the season. And can Anthony kickstart him? He last played on November 8th of 2018. This could be huge for Portland. That that's a team that a lot of people have big expectations from. Went to the Western Conference Finals last year, but right now they're currently sitting at thirteenth in the conference, having a lot of trouble. Now, you hear a lot of Carmelo Anthony is washed. He's not the same player anymore, type talk. And to say that he's the same player he was when he was twenty five or even twenty seven, obviously is not gonna be the case. You know, Father Time, as they say, is undefeated and you know, age and attrition and wear and tear on your body, etc., will generally take its toll. That said, I don't think that he's washed at all. I don't think that's the case. I think that if Carmelo accepts his role, he can be instant offense off the bench. For those of you listening, if you're old enough to remember uh, Vinny Microwave Johnson in the 80s with the Detroit Pistons, reason they called him the Microwave is because he got hot as soon as he came in the game. He was the leader of the uh, second unit and instant offense as soon as he hit the floor. A uh, better comparison to that in today's game is a guy like Lou Williams who can average 18 to 20 off the bench. If Melo can get it in his mind that he's not a starter anymore, but be a leader off the second unit, he can be lights out instant offense. Hashtag green light. Also, can we stop with this nonsense? about complaining that Carmelo Anthony doesn't defend. I've talked about this for years, whether it's on the podcast or whether it's to people that I know. The majority of players in the NBA don't defend. The NBA doesn't want defense. They literally changed the rules to make it much harder on defensive players and for teams to play defense. They took as much defense out of the game as possible so as to boost the scoring and make it more enjoyable for the layman fan. Why do you think we rave so much about guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and, when he's healthy, Kevin Durant among the stars and the superstars? Because those are guys who get buckets but play D on the other end. But they're anomalies. And why do we give LeBron James a relative pass for not defending? Because he's an offensive superstar, right? Most players don't do it anymore. That's why offensively gifted players are so bothered by a guy like Pat Beverly. Why? Because they aren't used to having to work against someone who makes a living off bringing a lunch pail and trying to lock you down every night. In today's NBA, Pat Beverly is a dinosaur because of his unwavering dedication and commitment to the defensive end of the floor. So expecting Melo to play D is not only unreasonable, it's nonsensical. Let it go. I gave you a fair warning. Be Said warning, Before we get up out of here, you know what time it is. It's time for the Bruce. Right <laughs> so the quarterback of a football team is the single most important position in all of team sports. The quarterback is expected to know everything. The quarterback is expected to lead physically by work ethic. The quarterback is expected to lead mentally and emotionally. They're expected to have command of the offense. The quarterback is expected to know all the plays, all the checks, to understand the opposing defenses and how to attack them. There was a time not too long ago when African Americans were thought not to possess the requisite leadership and intelligence to play this most pivotal of positions. Slowly but surely over the years, we saw that perception change. We are now at a totally different place on that front. Five of the top 10 quarterbacks in passing yards are black. Dak, Jameis, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and Kyler Murray. The top five in QBR are all black quarterbacks. Dak, Russell Wilson, Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Deshaun Watson. Five of the top eight leaders in touchdown passes thrown are black quarterbacks. And most importantly, the two front runners for the Most Valuable Player Award, Russell Wilson, and Lamar Jackson are both black quarterbacks. I think it's fair to say that all those old stereotypes are completely disproven. The black quarterback has proven he is more than capable of doing everything that position requires. I bet Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon, and Doug Williams all wish they came into the league at this time rather than when they did. Given what they accomplished then, it's scary to think what they could do now. And that's it for this edition of the Bruce Breakdown. And that's it for this episode of the Format Podcast. Returning listeners, again, thank you so much for sticking with me. Uh, if you're a new listener, I'm glad you tuned in. Hopefully, I gave you something to think about. Hopefully, you enjoyed the show. Um, hopefully, I didn't drive you crazy with all the Miles Garrett stuff early. But hey, I think what I think. I feel what I feel. And I'm going to give it to you just like that. Yeah. Um, Again, if you enjoyed the show, I would love for you to share the show, you know, share it via your social media, tell people about it. Let's get it in more ears so I can continue to bring it to you every week. Um, I love the work that we're doing here. I love, you know, sitting behind the mic and telling you what I think and, and really giving you my own uh, unique perspective on sports. Uh, I know I probably get called a hater a lot of times and that's cool. Difference of opinions is make the world go round, right? So I have no problem with that. If you want to get at me, I'm always available on social media. You can catch me on Twitter, at Bruce F.A. Hope. That's at Bruce F.A. Hope. And you can also catch me on Instagram, at The Format Podcast, at The Format Podcast. You can uh, tell me where I was right. You can tell me where I was wrong. You can tell me I'm the dumbest dude in the world. Just tell me why. That's cool. You can uh, recommend um, uh, subjects for, uh, different segments that we could do or things that you want to hear me talk about. I'm all for that. Um, you could really just shoot the breeze with me because I love the interaction, you know, uh, again, uh, really appreciate it. Um, always around on social media. Uh, you can check me out. I'll be back here next week and now that's it. I'm out. Peace.